0: Hello and welcome to the Church Times podcast, I'm Ed Thornton. This week, a critical moment for Brexit. The Archbishop of Canterbury says a no deal would be a moral failure and Dame Caroline Spellman calls on the Church to pray for the nation. What's going on in the Diocese of Oxford, where more than 100 clergy are uneasy with their bishops' approach to sexuality? And we have news of the finalists of our inaugural Theology Slam competition. If you don't subscribe to the Church Times, try 10 Issues for £10 and receive full access to our website, iPhone and iPad editions and online archive go to churchtimes.co.uk/subscribe People should pray that the nation makes the right decision and avoids a no-deal Brexit the second church estates commissioner dame caroline spellman has said adam beckett spoke to her and we've got a story on page 3 this week spellman urges may to rule out disaster no-deal brexit so adam's tell us a bit more about what dame caroline's been saying to you
1: Dame Caroline, as well as being the second Church States Commissioner, is a uh, West Midlands MP, a Conservative MP at that. And uh, she's been meeting with the other West Midlands MPs since September, she told me. Manufacturing is a big thing in, in that region. Uh, Jaguar Land Rover makes a lot of cars. There's other uh, big manufacturing companies in the region. And they're really worried about the impact that a no-deal Brexit would have on the on those jobs, as well as the companies She wrote this, she organised a letter along with her Labour counterpart, Jack Dromey, MP, and sent it to the Prime Minister with uh, 230 signatures, I think. Um, MP signatures? MPs and business leaders from the region um, to show that that they really don't want a no deal. I think we all know that there is a majority in Parliament against no deal. Um, We saw that this week as well in Parliament. But I'm not sure how they get to the point of stopping no deal.
0: And Dame Caroline, so she clearly from your story disagrees with the some of the Brexiteers, European research group people who say that, you know, no deal would be okay, trading on WTO rules would be okay.
1: Uh, yes, uh, she she talked extensively about how taxes would go up on exporting goods and how much more expensive it would be to import things as well. We export so much of what we make in this country to the EU and to slap taxes on them immediately when we left the European Union would be um, a hugely um, damaging for for in man, the manufacturing industry in this country.
0: And I um, mean, Dame Caroline urged people to pray for this situation as we as this week. I mean, things are really to use the cliches at a sort of knife edge or at a, at a critical moment.
1: Well, absolutely. I think that Dame Caroline really really wants the country to make the right decision uh, in her mind that is avoiding no deal Brexit. But it's clear that that we we stand at a crossroads and um, a big decision needs to be made by by those in, those in power.
0: I mean, things as, as people listen to this podcast, things could be moving very quickly. So we don't want to get too much down in the details. But I mean, when you spoke to Dame Caroline on Monday, or Tuesday. Not, on Tuesday, she said there's a majority in Parliament against No Deal, and the Prime Minister could, could use this to her advantage.
1: There is a majority in Parliament against No Deal. Uh, we saw that yesterday uh, when they um, when MPs voted. For Dominic Grieve's amendment which would force the Prime Minister to bring another deal back to Parliament should her withdrawal agreement fail to pass in the House of Commons next week and on Tuesday MPs voted for Yvette Cooper's amendment to the 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 finance bill the budget which restricted the Treasury's powers in the event of a no deal MPs as a mass do not want no deal apart from a select few the difficulty is there are two options on the table a deal and it is, at the moment, it seems like May's deal is the only deal or no deal. There isn't a, a magic third way. And if Parliament does not vote the deal through before the 29th of March, this, this, the state that we're in, it will just be automatically be no deal. It doesn't matter how many MPs don't want it. So it's going to be a real test to see how they manage to... Well, how, I, I suppose the only answer is for the Prime Minister f- to finesse the deal so MPs vote it through. I I don't really foresee another way.
0: Um, what are the chances looking like for a people's vote or a second referendum at the moment? Uh, it's
1: it's still an option on the table. I I would say, this is my opinion here, that, that no deal is a lot more likely um, than a second referendum. But it's still on the table. Um, if the Prime Minister really can't get her deal through the House of Commons and... I don't think she wants a no-deal scenario, then she might have to look to something like a second referendum. But uh, as Dame Caroline said as well, we're, we're living a day at, time, day at the time at the moment. We, we can't tell what's going to happen today, let alone tomorrow. By the time this podcast comes out, uh, everything might be a lot clearer.
0: And on Wednesday afternoon, the Archbishop of Canterbury spoke in the House of Lords about Brexit.
2: My Lords, it may not feel like it. We may not wish it but we are still near the beginning of the Brexit journey, not at the end of the process. The decisions made over the next week will not be finalised for all eternity, but are a foundation for further discussion and negotiation down the line. There has to be an agreement in which all accept the need to deliver the will of the people, which was expressed in the referendum, while also recognising that when it was expressed... In such a close result, there is a duty to building compromise, an inevitability, albeit unwelcome to some. If not, there will, by default, be a no-deal Brexit. That outcome would not only be a political and practical failure, but a moral one equally as serious as ignoring the result of the referendum entirely. My Lords, a second referendum is not my preference. But if Parliament fails in the task entrusted to it, then regrettably it may be required. This is about more than Brexit, and Parliament must not show itself unfit for the job. Parliamentarians must be able to look back at this time and say honestly to the people of this country that we put them, their choices, their welfare and their communities above the politics and ideology that can seem so (coughs) all-consuming here in Westminster. As we embrace the challenge, a challenge that I believe is hope-filled and exciting, of reimagining our country and its structures over the next few years and months, I hope politicians will take it upon themselves to make these crucial decisions, not only with the grand vision, but also with the small picture, the effect on local people, communities in, and businesses in mind as well. Yeah.
0: More than 100 clerics in Oxford Diocese have written to criticise their bishops' approach to LGBTI+ plus people. A letter released on Monday warns that if the bishops cannot affirm traditional teaching, many of the signatories will consider seeking alternative oversight. Madeline, you've been following this story closely.
3: So this is a response to a letter which the bishops in the Diocese of Oxford um, sent out in the autumn, and they presented it as um, a pastoral letter which was setting out what they expected from people in the diocese um, in terms of the inclusion of LGBT people. It was an ad clerum called Clothed with Love which is um, a reference to scripture. Um, among the things that the letter contained was um, a kind of affirmation of some principles which had already been set out um, by the Diocese of Lichfield, um, and they were including things such as um, the fact that um, sexual orientation is no bar to leadership in the church, um, also that everybody has access um, to the Lord's Supper, to the Eucharist and I guess it's been a few uh, months now since that since that was issued to I think it was 1500 clergy in the diocese Um, and then this letter um, has been signed by 104 um, ministers in the diocese um, expressing grave concern about the contents of that letter. And what are they particularly concerned about? So they say that their main concern is the direction of travel in the diocese. Um, They write, In its desire for a new expression of inclusion, it could end up excluding those who hold the traditional teaching of Scripture and doing a great disservice to those of us who experience same-sex attraction. We are not here simply stating an aversion to change. We are, however, convinced that failing to hold to the Bible's teaching out to everyone is to show a lack of that very love the letter urges us to exhibit. Um, so it's kind of concerned about what the letter, I guess, really means um, and what it might be heralding in the diocese.
0: And obviously those bishops, I mean, you've got one among them is a very outspoken advocate of change the church's teaching, is the Bishop of Buckingham, yeah. Alan Wilson. I mean, he's he's come, come into conflict with evangelicals in his diocese before. I think some of whom have called him to resigned before so there is some history here isn't there
3: yes there is and oxford is also home to some um quite prominent large evangelical churches um and obviously it's also um a big sending diocese it sends um a lot of um people for training and it's home to um evangelical um training college Whitcliffe hall as well um so I guess some of the the signatories um, are quite kind of prominent in the evangelical world. That one of the people that organised the letter is Canon um, Vaughan Roberts. Um, he's a member of Living Out and kind of an international speaker promoting um, kind of celibacy for for people who are LGBT. Um, so I guess sort of some of the signatories will, will be quite familiar to people
0: and are they mostly evangelical or there are other traditions among them yes
3: yeah, so the um, letter is, is presented as kind of having a wide range of signatories but um, if you look through um, the names and I sort of look through them when we first received a copy of the letter they are overwhelmingly um, evangelical I could only spot a handful who would have more of a kind of Anglo-catholic background quite a large number were trained um, at Wycliffe originally and they there are a number of signatories who teach there now although not the the principal of the college for example but some people who teach there are among the signatories.
0: And the bishops have responded to this?
3: Yeah, so they've published their response, um, which is, I guess, kind of offering reassurance, um, telling the signatories that they are a valued part of the diocese, um, that they appreciate the um, sort of tone of the letter, um, and that they should be assured that sort of whatever happens in terms of the direction of travel, um, there will be a place for them in the diocese and a place for those who uphold um, what they describe as sort of traditional teaching on sexuality.
0: And do we have any sense whether the signatories to the the, the, to the letter that was criticising the bishops, are reassured by the
3: bishops. So both of them have been published on the um, sort of evangelicals' website in the diocese. Um, and um, in terms of social media, I've seen sort of people saying they felt the bishop struck the right tone. Um, I guess one of the questions is around um, sort of what constitutes theology and what constitutes a pastoral letter. In their letter, the bishops say that it was not intended as a theological statement of a position or as a contribution in itself to the wider debate in the church but at the same time they said they um, in the earlier letter they said they had faced um, a number of questions from clergy and um, and families about what's possible in terms of the pastoral provision um for for example people who want to have their relationship blessed and that there is an ongoing conversation around that so i guess one of the questions is whether the action the bishops take or um, the words they use will be defined as sort of purely pastoral or a theological statement and whether that distinction really works i guess that's one of the the issues that's been raised
0: We brought news on this podcast recently of the inaugural theology slam competition which is organised by Church Times SCM Press the Community St Anselm and the London Institute for Contemporary Christianity. The news we have this week is that the three finalists have been chosen. I'm joined by David Shervington senior commissioning editor at SCM Press who his brainchild, really, this competition. Um, David, can you just quickly give us a rundown of what this is about, Theology Slam? Yeah, we wanted to find
4: um, new, young, fresh uh, voices in theology, uh, particularly able to bring that theology into a contemporary context on all sorts of issues. So we gave people a a range of different topics uh, they could uh, speak on, and we invited uh, anybody aged 18 to 30 to uh, send in a 500 word piece and a video and we were um, somewhat blown away by the number of entries we had. We had uh, over 70 entries come in um, from all over the UK and actually from elsewhere as well and, uh, and we uh, closed the, those uh, entries off in December and uh, we've now shortlisted three uh, finalists for the competition.
0: And who are those finalists, briefly?
4: Uh, So the finalists are uh, Hannah Barr, um, who's uh, 27, she's an Ordon and uh, Wycliffe, um, and she's going to be speaking on uh, theology and the hashtag MeToo movement. Um, Hannah Malcolm um, is 26, um, and she uh, works for an organisation that uh, runs workshops for young people on science and religion, and uh, and she's speaking on uh, theology and the environment. And Sarah Pratt uh, is 23 uh, from Spain, but she's here doing a master's at, at the University of Birmingham. And uh, she's uh, speaking on theology and mental health. So, a really good spread of, of, of uh, really relevant topics.
0: And the final takes place on the 7th of March at St John's Hoxton in London. What will happen on the night?
4: Uh, so, those three uh, finalists are giving a 7 to 10 minute sort of TED Talk style punchy uh, talk. Um, there'll be an opportunity for uh, audience uh, questions then, um, some feedback from our judging panel. Our judging panel is um, uh, Professor John Swinton, uh, Dr. Eve Poole, uh, Reverend Dr. Isabel Hamley, and, uh, and Mark Green. And they're going to be giving some feedback. And also, uh, John Swinton um, and uh, Eve Poole are going to be doing their own sort of seven to ten minute TED uh, style talks as part of the evening as well. And then hopefully, well, definitely. By the end, we will crown one of those uh, three finalists as our Theology Slam champion uh, for this year.
0: And what will the winner receive?
4: Uh winner gets uh, £200 uh, pounds worth of, of books, naturally, and uh, they'll also get their 500-word entry uh, published in uh, your paper.
0: Brilliant! I think it's going to be a really fun evening, and I guess this is all these. This is all about theology that really relates to the real world as theology should. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I think um,
4: w- uh, we've had um, some really lovely feedback from people, uh, even uh, folks who didn't get through uh, to the final. Just saying, thank you so much. It's really helped me think uh, critically about my. Uh, how I understand God, uh, and somebody saying actually that's something that they, they will then take forward and, uh, and use with the young people they work with. So it's just really about um, communicating this idea that everybody really is a theologian. You don't need to be an academic um, or, or you know, do it professionally to, to be a theologian. You just need to, to do God talk, basically. Mm.
3: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Church Times podcast.